Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 9. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, my guest is Dr. Greg Penner from the Department of Animal and Poultry Science at the University of Saskatchewan. Greg is the U of S Centennial Enhancement Chair in Ruminant Nutritional Physiology, and he's a prolific researcher on beef and dairy cattle nutrition with a wealth of knowledge to share. Today, our topic is all about identifying the efficient beef cow. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Uh, thanks for being here. We really appreciate you doing this, and I'm sure I'm going to have you on more than once, but uh, maybe we'll start by having you tell the audience a little bit about your background. Sure. Thanks for having me, John. I've been listening to your podcast and been enjoying it, so congratulations. Uh, I, I grew up in the Saskatoon area. Actually, I, I'm a city slicker, to be honest, but uh, my family was quite involved both on dairy farming aspects and beef cattle aspects and and even sheep so uh, growing up as a kid I got lots of diversity in my livestock experience and that really pushed me into taking an agriculture degree here at the U of S finished my bachelor's here and and got the love of research uh, during that program and decided to do a master's here as well Um, that took me off to the U of A and then I did my PhD again focusing on dairy cattle uh, under Dr. Masahita Oba, and I'm one of these very fortunate people that got a job and was able to come back home and and serve the industry that I was able to participate in as a young kid. And tell us about your position that you're in now here at the U of S. Yeah, so the position I have now is uh, a position focused on ruminant nutrition and physiology. It's obviously dedicated and and has a primary focus towards beef cattle. But it doesn't mean I still don't work in in domains related to sheep and and dairy cattle as well. So a strong beef focus, uh, but I serve some of those other industries on top of that. Thanks. So our topic today is the the efficient beef cow or finding the efficient beef cow and feed efficiency is a pretty important sort of measurement we do all the time in in growing cattle in feedlot cattle especially. Let's start off there. How do we measure that and what does it mean? Yeah, so typically, at least when I look back at what we've done from a feed efficiency measurement, we're typically relating some measure of productivity to some measure of energy or dry matter consumption. So it's probably most easily recognized in the feedlot industry as either feed to gain or or gain to feed. Um if if I look back and you see the change in feed price over the last two years, it's it's amazing how important and how important feed cost is and and feed efficiency, and probably more dramatically the economic benefit of improving feed efficiency has been emphasized with with the changes in feed cost. Right, and we have lots of technologies available to us in the in the feedlot industry and in the beef industry in general to, to improve feed efficiencies like implants and uh, other technologies that, that are primarily targeting that so that we can, we can get more gain with less feed or, or the same amount of feed. Absolutely. I, I think the challenge really is maybe not so much on the feedlot side, but on the cow-calf side, it's a lot harder to measure that feed efficiency um, simply because we're we're dealing with those mature cows that aren't growing. And so that easy measurement or easy variable that we would use to define that efficient growth is no longer there and should not be there based on where they are in life. Right. 
So one of the terms that I often hear is residual feed intake. They often promote that as one potential efficiency measure for beef cows. Can you maybe explain what RFI means? Yeah, so residual feed intake is is an interesting approach that has been taken to to measure that feed efficiency. Essentially for residual feed intake, what we need to do is put a group of cows or or heifers in a common pen, be able to measure their intake over time and and still be able to measure other variables that might be affecting that intake. So Quite commonly, body weight is measured. Um, back fat has been measured in the cow-calf side or, or heifer side, mainly on a reproductive status. And, and growth, if there is growth, is, is also measured. And essentially, we use mathematical models, so statistical models, to correct for the variables that we can measure. And so why we don't come and think of it this way, residual feed intake is really just a measurement of the error that we can't account for. Uh, so typically cows that have a low RFI would be classified as being more efficient. Cows with a high RFI would be classified as, as being less efficient. And I think RFI is, is really interesting. What I, what I think is maybe challenging is more how we measure it. So one, we need a fairly long feed intake test period um, and there's quite a few things that happen during that test period that we don't think about. So quite often, grow-safe bunks are used, and many cows can eat from the same grow-safe bunk. I, I think you and I and, and everyone else listening can recognize that cows might have a different preference for parts of their feed. And we make the assumption that cows are eating a complete diet and they're not sorting. And, and I think that really is not a a good assumption in in many of these uh, cases. Yeah, cows are tremendous sorters of feed at times. Maybe just maybe briefly explain what a grow safe bunk is. I expect most of our listeners know what that is, but but maybe some don't. What is a grow safe bunk used for? Yeah, so we use grow safe bunks in research, and as I mentioned, grow safe bunks are used uh, in feed tests for. Uh, residual feed intake measurement. Essentially, it's a large feed bunk, so a, a plastic type bin that is situated on load cells. And immediately proximal to that feed bunk is a RFID reader. And so the feed bunk can detect which cow is at which bunk for how long. And using that informa information connected to the load cells, we can measure the weight of the feed that disappears or is removed as those cows are eating. So by, by relating that, we can calculate things like feed disappearance, which we assume to be feed intake. And we uh, also know the amount of time, so we can measure the meal length. And relating those factors, we can measure um, meal speed or eating rate, along with many other variables uh, that, that are important and related to feeding characteristics for beef cattle. Right. And otherwise, we we can really only measure feed intake by at a pen level. If we got a bunch of pens, a bunch of animals in a pen, uh, we can really only measure it by measuring the feed disappearance at the pen level if we don't have those gross safe bunks. Yeah, exactly. So it gives you the opportunity to have many animals in a pen, but still have an individual level for feed disappearance. Okay. So 
RFI and feed efficiency, they all sort of focus on feed intake as one of the most important variables uh, and often relate that to growth and other factors. But what's missing from that in terms of looking at efficiency in beef cows in particular? Yeah, so again, the beef cow, uh, at least the the major factors that impact uh, financial profitability in a cow-calf operation is the number of calves first that are sold, and then secondly, the weight of those calves. So that has, or or could have, very little to do with dry matter intake at a specific time in the production phase, or dry matter intake relative to back fat, again, at a, at a specific production phase. So I think, at least when we started thinking about this concept, we wanted to use efficiency metrics that had financial relevance to beef cattle producers rather than just dry matter intake. And, and again, I'm not saying dry matter intake doesn't matter. We know cost of feed is really important, but that's a cost and, and we're missing the revenue side of the coin when we're thinking about that feed efficiency metric alone. Feed costs are important, but it's also important we get that cow pregnant and she raises a calf that weans a reasonable weaning weight, et cetera. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me uh, as a veterinarian, especially. So you recently completed uh, a fairly interesting trial uh, that tried to rank the efficiency of a group of beef cows. And maybe before we start talking about the trial itself, who was involved in this study? You had a lot of collaborators and maybe you want to talk about who else was involved. Yeah, so this was really a project that was driven uh, from the ground roots up. Working with Dwayne Thompson uh, and Ross McDonald, we had a lot of conversations on what we could use to drive uh, efficiency measures in beef cattle. So Dr. Bart Lardner, John McKinnon, uh, Mika Saikokwell, uh, Matthew Links and I all sat down with uh, Ross and Dwayne and started thinking about what we should actually use as a, as a measurement indicator. The things that came out very clear were really the aspects of what I would call the rancher's contract uh, with cows. So those cows need to be able to thrive in the environmental condition that the producer imposes. And so in many cases, this is an extensive grazing system, whether that be summer grazing or winter feeding, uh, at least for cows in Western Canada. They need to be able to calve early in the calving season. And there's a lot of work showing those cows that calve early have heavier calves at weaning simply because those calves are older at, at the time of weaning or marketing. And they also have a longer time to return to estrus. Uh, and then they need to wean a heavy calf uh, at the time of weaning. And we didn't want to just look at calf weight. We wanted to express that calf weight as a function of cow body weight so that, you know, we're not indirectly biasing frame size uh, in our assessment. So that's really the criteria we set up. We measured a few parameters. We measured back fat and rump fat thickness at calving, and that was our measure of how well did that cow do over our extensive winter feeding system. We measured calving day within the calving season. So those cows that calved earlier on were giving a higher score. And then we measured calf weight at weaning, and we corrected that for heifers or bulls as a function of body weight. And those cows that weaned a heavier calf at weaning uh, yielded a higher score. What I think is really 
important in this study is we didn't just do that in one year. We did that in two consecutive years. So the cow had to have good performance twice, not just in a single year. And we had animals that performed very well in one year, but fell off in the second year. And, and so we were able to exclude those cows from our efficiency ranking. That's interesting. So so they had to be consistent in both years in those uh, indicators. Obviously, calving date, there's going to be variability in that. But uh, how about back fat and, and weaning weight as a percentage of body weight? Did you have a lot of variability there? Yeah, that I think that's one of the strengths of the database is we started out with 100 heifers. And so we started out with a fairly large sample size, uh, at least from the context of this type of study. And the range in back fat thickness is is quite large. It can be, uh, you know, centimeters. So that's quite enormous when we think about the amount of energy that's stored in there and, and recognize back fat is not all the energy that's stored. There's a lot of visceral fat that we can't measure or see or estimate with body condition score. And, and so back fat is just one visible measure that we can make. And then again, when you look at things like weaning weight, the, the range was enormous, even though we have a very similar kind of genetic makeup of the cow herd uh, and a very similar management structure that all the animals went through. So th there is a lot of variability. So why did you end up choosing those in indicators? You've sort of talked about that already, but, but maybe go through that again. You chose three sort of important indicators you thought were part of the rancher's contract. Why those ones? Yeah, so the first one, and, and we applied a different weighting system to each of the criteria. So the first one was uh, basically back fat thickness at calving. And, and we thought that was primarily related to the ability of the cow to manage itself during that extensive winter feeding period. Probably the most expensive feeding point of view. So if we think again about feed efficiency, that was that cow's ability to thrive on a low input extensive grazing system through winter. So can she handle the environmental conditions that are thrown at her? And we found lots of cows that could thrive. So those cows that, that had the thickest uh, back fat got a maximum score of 10. And we did this on a percentile scoring system. The next one was, was calving day within the calving season. And, and that was a maximum score of eight. And the reason we discounted the score is, well, those cows that are able to maintain their body condition probably breed sooner. And so we wanted to make sure we weren't double accounting for right. individual variables. The final one was calf weaning weight. And again, calf weaning weight is affected by the cow, but it could be affected by the sire. It could be affected by uh, other management systems. In our case, they were all grazing and grazing the same uh, pastures. So it, it should have more influence on the cow, uh, but there are external factors. So we wanted to decrease the uh, weighting of that variable right. as an assessment of the cow. Okay. So so once you had all these cows ranked over two years and you ended up choosing sort of the 10 most efficient cows and the 10 least efficient cows ended up being nine in each group. I guess you had to drop a couple cows out because they uh, didn't work very well in the system. But uh, what did you do next? Yeah, so then we took those cows and we actually fit them with the rumen cannula. So we put a hole uh, in their side so that we could gain access to the rumen so that we could really understand the digestive physiology associated with how they were able to maintain uh, their contribution to the rancher's contract. 
so we put them, so we cannulated them, we brought them into a metabolism barn, and we put them through a series of uh, dietary treatments where we measured all kinds of things like body weight, we confirmed the back fat thickness, we measured uh, dry matter intake, rumen fermentation parameters, how they use the fiber in the diet to move through the rumen, and finally, total tract digestibility. And we did this with diets that were very high quality, and we progressively decreased diet quality so that we could test it under a wide range of dietary settings. And I think the dietary part is really important because some of the work with RFI shows that there is this genotype by phenotype interaction with RFI where the RFI rank might change depending on the quality of the diet. Were all those diets sort of sufficient to meet their needs? I know some of them had more straw and some of them had more barley silage, et cetera. And the lower quality ones obviously had more more straw, poor quality forages, I guess. But, but did they all adequate to meet their needs? So yeah, the diets were all formulated to be adequate for the physiological stage that they were in. And remember, these were dry, non-pregnant cows. So we could get pretty low in terms of diet quality. And our lowest diet was was very marginal for energy. So it was still meeting requirement, but it was just meeting requirement, providing they ate enough dry matter. As you went through that, what were the main differences between these high efficiency cows and the low efficiency cows? What did you see? Yeah, the interesting part that that came out, and, and again, we didn't select cows based on body weight, but those high efficiency cows were lighter and, and statistically lighter than the, the low efficiency cows. Dry matter intake was absolutely not different. So if we're selecting based just on dry matter intake, we would have missed these cows. But because they were lighter and ate the same amount of dry matter, they actually ate more dry matter as a percentage of body weight. So this kind of goes against what RFI would have suggest where we would be selecting cows for lower dry matter intake. We are actually probably not selecting against dry matter intake, but actually selecting for cows that have higher dry matter intake as a function of body weight. Those were kind of the main variables. That, that we saw. And, and then the other part of that, you know, if we go back and we take those cows and we look at their calf performance um, and calculate their net revenue, those high efficient cows had much higher net revenue than the low efficient cows. So we did actually improve, um, I guess, return on investment or improve uh, our revenue position from those high efficient cows. Right. Even though they're eating more per unit of body weight. On but that, kilos of dry matter is still the same. Right. So overall, was there a significant difference in size between these these high efficiency and low, low efficiency cows? Yeah. Visually, at least I couldn't pick it out. But yeah, when we run them on a scale, uh, those high efficiency cows uh, had a lower body weight statistically. Uh, they also had thicker rib and rump fat thickness both in the field study, but also uh, they had greater uh, back fat gain during the metabolism portion of the study. So it shows that even with those diverse environments, the same physiological indicators that we were using to classify efficiency was showing up in the field and in controlled conditions in the barn. Interesting. So you also were looking at what was going on in the rumen of these cows, and you might have to explain this to me in simple terms, as as I'm not a rumen physiologist by any means. But but 
just what did you see there that was different in the ruminants of these high efficient cows? Yeah, so maybe what I'll what I'll do is just back up and, and think about strategies. So one of the strategies for efficiency would be to have a cow that eats less but gets every last piece of value out of that forage. Or we could have another strategy where cows are able to eat the same amount or more and they digest what's readily available and they get rid of the rest. Okay, so we wanted to separate which strategy are these cows using? Are they maximizing digestibility or are they maximizing the easily digestible nutrients and getting rid of the rest? And so one of the variables we looked at was uh, NDF turnover. So this is really just the turnover of fiber in the rumen. And we can differentiate between the turnover of digestible fiber and the turnover of indigestible fiber, that fiber that sits in the rumen and creates bulk fill. And what we were able to show is that the digestibility didn't differ between high efficient and low efficient, but these cows that were more efficient were able to clear that fiber out of the rumen faster. Mm -hmm. So essentially that helps support why they had greater dry matter intake. And it really points to uh, supporting the theory that they were maximizing the available nutrients or maximizing use of the available nutrients and not spending extra time to get the last two or three pennies out of that forage. Okay. So that I, I think that's really important when we think of our low quality feeding systems on, you know, winter feeding systems. So straw chaff piles or kind of the low quality feeds where we probably want these cows to be able to consume enough dry matter to meet their nutrient requirements. And it's probably to their detriment if they try to get the last bit of digestion out of oat hulls or out of barley straw or wheat straw rather than kick it out of the digestive tract and, and make room for more. Make room for more. Interesting. So when you looked across the four diet qualities, did you see any big differences there? It, it, I, I think I, I saw in the paper that, that there wasn't a lot of differences across the diets. And why is that important? Well, maybe I'll, I'll just back up a little bit. There were huge effects of diet, but what's really important is the response of our high efficient and low efficient cows did not differ across diets. Right. right. So it, it told us, you know, the physiology of how these cows are dealing with that forage. It doesn't matter if it's a high quality forage or a low quality forage, they still use the same kind of biological process. So it, it confirms to me that we're measuring a phenotype and, and not, just an artifact of, of how we're measuring things. Why I think this is important, again, we have times where diet quality varies dramatically for our beef cows, depending on the season. So in winter, we're probably trying to avoid excess nutrient supply, and we really want them to do well on poor quality forages to reduce our feeding cost. In summer, we have less control over that, and we have the opportunity to have some very high-quality forages. And so what this, what this data at least tells me is those cows have the ability to both capitalize on advantages with low-quality forage, but still utilize that same strategy to capitalize on advantages with high-quality forages. Are there any, you know, disclaimers or limitations to this study? I, I guess... The metabolism part of it was looking at cows eating out of a bunk and they're not really foraging there. So so that might change things a little bit there, does it? Or, or are there any other things we need to consider when we're thinking about this? 
Well, I, I think you're right. We're eliminating kind of competition among individuals because they're in individual pens fed individual bunks. But we're really looking at a carryover effect of a group feeding situation under field conditions. And so the fact that we were actually able to detect and pick out differences that have you know, a, a relevant physiological basis, I think is quite amazing and highlights the weighting that I, I put at least on these factors uh, as measures of variation contributing to more or lower feed efficiency cows. So yeah, we can we can challenge the metabolism barn data, but the metabolism barn data wasn't there to determine performance. It was there to understand the field performance. It's important to understand that you measured that field performance over two years in ranching situations. So uh, that that's really neat that it came across again in the metabolism barn too. So if I'm a producer and I want to sort of take these findings and apply them to my ranch and try to select the most efficient cows in my own herd, how would I do that? Yeah, I think this is, uh, to me, this is probably the most exciting part of this, this project because the information we collected is information any rancher could collect. Um, if, if you have a scale and you measure calf weight at weaning and you measure cow weight, you can measure the... Uh, weaning weight as a percentage of, of cow body weight. So it's a very easy variable. If you take a measurement like body condition score at calving, you have an analogous term to evaluate our rib or rump fat uh, at, at winter. And then if we're recording when those cows are calving in the calving season, again, we have the ability to have all the criteria that we measured in the study, which we think are really important characteristics for those cows to be productive under the individual farm situation. So none of the data we collected, you need fancy equipment. You don't need fancy computers. Any producer can have that information. The, the most fancy equipment you need is a scale. Uh, and, and I think, you know, most of our producers now are, are using uh, some type of scale within their production system at some point in time. So the benefit is, you know, if we're collecting that data, it's just using that data now. So instead of just leaving it in the record book or leaving it on an Excel sheet, it's starting to use that data to make informed decisions about which cows or which heifers from those cows we want to retain uh, within a herd. So I think it's ripe for adoption. There's no major barriers. It's, it's ready to go. Yeah, and and it just it just goes in with so many other things we we've looked at in the past, and other researchers have looked at. You know, our heifers should come from our early calving cows. We've said that for years. Other researchers have said that, and and this just confirms that even more. So uh, it's it's really interesting stuff. So any sort of final conclusions or wrap up thoughts you want to give us, Greg, on on this project? I think it's really fascinating and. And I'm really glad you came on to talk about it today. Uh, any any wrap-up thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, we have an exciting opportunity here to uh, encourage producers to look at their data beyond the data collection. And, and I think we're starting to see that a lot more. The other thing I'd, I'd really like to express is is gratitude to funding agencies. So this, this work was supported by the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association through their Industry Development Fund, and it also received funding through the Ministry of Agriculture 
uh, Agriculture Development Fund here in Saskatchewan. The other part, um, you know, I'm here doing the interview, but in reality, I did very little of the work. Uh, I had a fantastic student named Justin Delver uh, that worked like a machine through this project. You can only imagine what it's like uh, feeding 18 cows in a metabolism or a metabolism barn intensively uh, for uh, almost five months for this experiment. And he worked tirelessly taking care of the cows and collecting the samples. Uh, never saw him uh, without a smile on his face, no matter how bad the work was. And so I just really like to extend appreciation to not only Justin, but the team of students that that helped him as he went through the yeah. project. Shout out to good grad students. They're great. And and also to uh, Ross McDonald and Dwayne Thompson, who who started this whole thing off to producers here in Saskatchewan who who've worked with a number of times on various projects. So yeah, that they're pretty important too. And really without them, we we probably wouldn't have got to this point, right? Right. Um, that that driving force was really important to get us thinking about these concepts. Well, I think we'll call it a wrap for today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Greg. I'm sure I'll have you on again in the future. Love to, John. That's our show for this week. I want to thank each of you for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Greg Penner. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments or feedback, We'd love to hear from you. Just email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. That's bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care until next time. Mm-hmm.